it's pretty tempting, you know, we're in Acts 28, we're in the last chapter here, and I was like, man, we should just, you know, try and maybe knock this thing out, and, you know, the last chapter, I was like, oh, man, we can't do that, you know, we might miss some really important things, so we're almost going to finish Acts today, that'll be next time, but let's pray, so God, we just, um, we love you, Lord, we just pray, God, to just help us just to settle down and just uh, focus on you, I pray, God, that you would just uh, speak through me, Lord, that I wouldn't taint your message, Lord, um, that your spirit would just uh, take over my words and that it would be your message, Father. And it's a message that's uh, for me and it's a message that's for all of us, Lord. We pray, Lord, that your word will do what it says. It says that it judges the heart, thoughts, and attitudes of men, Lord, and it divides the soul and spirit, God. It's just, it's powerful too, Lord. And we pray, God, that we would um, be surrendered to that, Lord. And that it would happen in our hearts and in our minds, God. So, Father, we thank you for this morning, Lord. Place in your hands. In Jesus' name, amen. So, like I was saying, you know, we're almost done here with, uh, with Acts. And uh, it's, it's been pretty, a pretty wild ride. I mean, we've, been, we've seen the birth of the church. We saw this, like, uh, person of God, the Holy Spirit, come down. And that was a pretty amazing scene. And then we really see a story of... God bless you. And then we really see a story of um, two, two main guys, really. Peter and Paul. St. Paul, St. Peter, right? The first pope. That's kind of a joke. But, um, so you got Peter and Paul there. And it's kind of a big story. And it's really Peter for... Uh, the first 10 to 12 chapters or so. And then it's really the story of uh, Paul, his transformation, and kind of what, how God is using him to be a catalyst to start the whole church. And so now we're kind of picking up kind of at the end of um, Paul's ministry, really. And so the last time, let's see, we met, which was a couple of weeks ago, talking about Acts, because uh, we had a guest speaker in between there. Uh, Paul was in this storm, right? He was in the storm. He was in a boat. He's basically on his way to Rome to meet uh, before um, the governor Caesar, really. He appealed to Caesar. And so he's on his way there. And uh, they encountered this storm, and, and he tried to tell him, hey, listen, you know, it's probably not a good time to go. Um, I don't think it's going to be really safe. You know, maybe we should just, um, you know, dock up here and just kind of wait it out. And the guys were like, no, you know, we, we got to go now. So then they went. They got this storm. And uh, the title last time we were here was The Anchor of My Soul, right? The Anchor of My Soul. Because I think all of us can relate to, like, having storms, having trials uh, in life. We can all relate to that. It's just a part of life. That's the way it goes. Um, the question is, like, how are we going to respond to it? Right? Where do we go with it? Um, where does God fit into that? And kind of how do we deal with it? And so this week, we pick up to where the boat basically has just like, it's run aground, it's exploded in a million pieces, you have people just swimming to shore, floating on pieces of the boat to shore, and so they come on this island. They come on this island. And so we're going to see what happens on this island, because they end up staying there for a little while. So we're going to check it out. But first I want to start off with this, to give you an idea of where we're headed, and what's going on um, with this island. This past week at school um, was a very busy week as far as masses go, right? So they have masses, right? And it's always an interesting experience for me because um, I think that there probably are some true hearts of worship, you know, that are there. But it's, it, it, 
I don't know, it's hard for me to relate to. You know, I, I just, I, it's difficult. But I, not to say that it doesn't happen. And so you, you witness all of the, it's always the same. You do this then, you do that then, you sit here, you sit down there. And I think probably the most fun part about it is um, after they kind of go through their homily, um, and right before they take communion, um, they talk about peace, and they say, okay, now show a sign of peace to everybody else. And that's probably the most fun time, because then you're shaking everybody's hand, you're saying, peace, peace, you know, and we're doing it with the kids and doing them on the faculty, and that's probably, like, the most fun. Um, but anyways, this passage was a busy one because we had Hallow's Eve, or Halloween, and then we had All Saints Day, and so you have a couple masses that week, which the kids don't mind, because that's short in classes, you know, so. And the faculty, truth be told, didn't really mind either. So during one of the masses, um, they, uh, they had a um, monsieur, Monsignor come in, and he was kind of giving uh, the homily. And before he was talking, they have, um, it's an all-boys school. And so the choir, uh, the chorus is made up of all boys. And sometimes that can be a little interesting. Uh, it's all boys. They're all high school age. Their voices are doing different things. Um, and so that, that can be kind of interesting. And the whole school is there, you know, and they're all watching. And for the most part, you know, the guys are really good. You know, they sit there, they're pretty respectful, you know, nobody pokes any fun. And the guys are pretty good. It's pretty amazing, actually. A bunch of 14, 15, 16, 17-year-old guys, you know, listen to the other guys sing, and it might not be perfect, but they stay pretty respectful. It's pretty good. So during this one particular Mass, um, there was a couple of voice changes and it sounded kind of funny. It was kind of like a different song we hadn't heard before. And so there's a couple of guys in front of me. So I'm sitting, we're in a gym. Um, and my class is kind of towards the back. And I have a couple of guys in front of me. But the chorus is kind of up over here on the left. So I'm looking at the chorus, you know, and they're, they're singing their song. And, and just a side note, that's also interesting. Good when they sing or do stuff, like nobody like really ever says anything, which is like kind of weird too. They like never take part, but... Whatever. So they're singing, you know, we're, we're listening. And uh, two guys in front of me, I guess, were, were laughing. And there's a couple of uh, teachers behind me. So she leans over and uh, she's like, hey, you know, and then they turn around. She's like, cut it out. Um, because she's thinking, you know, that they're laughing because these guys are singing and it's just, there's some obvious things going on there. But I didn't even really notice because I was looking over there. But I, I know these two guys and I was like, you know what? I, I don't know if they're really that type. They don't usually really do that type of thing. They're not, you know, kind of usually like that. So I figure I'll wait till the peace time, you know, and then I can ask them, you know, see what's going on, because that's when the time when we'll turn around and shake hands. So um, eventually we get to that part in the Mass, and, uh, you know, and they say, okay, now show everybody a sign of peace, you know, and then we're shaking hands. And then they turn around, and I'm like, hey, I said, you guys laughing at that kid? And, uh, no, Mr. Murphy, you know, we're not laughing. And, and then they whisper and they say, Mr. Murphy, he farted and it really stuck right at the same time. So then now I'm starting to laugh. And the teacher behind me, she didn't hear our conversation right there. She goes, hey, don't laugh at them like that. And then they tried to tell her, you know, she's like, oh, you know, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, you know. And it was a kind of a funny circumstance where it's like, you think you see a situation, you understand what's going on, at least from the teacher's perspective behind me. But, like, you know, she really obviously didn't get it, right? She misread, misjudged the situation that was really going on. Happens a lot when you're a teacher, you know, you have your classroom full of kids, 
And you always want to try and make it a safe place. You want to account for everything that might be done among, say, 30 kids or so, what the next move might be, what they might be feeling, who might be screwing around, who's paying attention, what they might be writing down in their notes. Are they passing any notes? Is it on the desk? And so you got to keep track of all these things. And if you're a parent, right, and you have your kids and you got a lot of kids, you got to do the same thing as well. You know, you just always got to be steps ahead and you're just kind of conditioned to just make a judgment on a situation and do it quickly to possibly diffuse any problem that there might be. Um, what, you know, one thing that the students have noticed is that when they're in class, they know that they have their graphing calculators. They're like these big calculators, kind of like these old cell phones. And cell phones, you know, you're not allowed to really have them or be texting in school and stuff. But like during cafeteria study halls, they'll be in there. And, and they know that sort of the posture when someone's sneaking a cell phone, they're like looking down under the table and they're going like this with their phone. It's, uh, that's like the, that's the cell phone thing. And the teachers, they, we just look for that. Because usually nine times that time we see that, you know, they're texting. But they've caught on, you know, they're, they're kids and they have fun. So now they take their graphing calculators under the table. Hey, Mr. O'Brien, give me your cell phone. And they big, huge smile on their face, you know, they take out their graphing calculator. Ah, we got the teacher, you know. <laughs> misreading a situation, right? And so it happens in kind of funnier contexts like that. And, and it, you know, you can think of a whole bunch, you know, where you have misread a situation. Um, but sometimes, like, it becomes more serious. And, um, you know, as far as God goes, in the situations we get put into into life, it's tough to really read a situation for all that it is because our context is limited. Because we don't really know all the facts, and we don't really know how God is working, and we don't know entirely the whole thing that He's doing, like everything that's involved. We might get a small part, a small piece, but we don't really know the whole deal. And so sometimes that could be difficult. And I don't know, if you're anything like me, I think, or a lot of people, is if it starts to get really difficult and really challenging and really starting to push you, unfortunately, I'm not proud to say, and probably other people are proud to say, the first thought that might come in is, geez, what am I messing up in? What sin might be there? How did I bring this around? But maybe we're like, we're not reading the situation wrong. Like maybe the kid just passed gas in front of us. Like, and it was just something else is going on, right? Like we don't know the whole story. So we're going to take a look at that, believe it or not, in Acts 28. So let's take a look. So Acts 28, they get to the islands. Okay, it says, once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. So here's a present day picture. It's actually, uh, they call it St. Paul's Bay. It's actually, that's the name of it. Uh, that was taken, I think, in like 2007. And that's where they ended up. It says, the islanders showed us unusual kindness. Some versions have uh, barbarians. And they weren't really barbarians. It's just that whoever wasn't a Greek, um, they referred to them as barbarians. It's just, that's just what they did. Um, not really in a negative connotation, they were just different. So the islanders, or the barbarians, like it says in the King James, showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. It says, Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. Now I got a picture of a viper, I think, up here. And so we can see, right, so one of those guys popped out from there. You know, he's gathering some sticks. It's warm. It pops out, bites him on the hand. It says, this man must be a murderer. Um, 
For though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead, but after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god, right? So there was an estate nearby that belonged to uh, Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and for three days entertained us hospitably. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. And Paul went in to see him and after prayer placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honored us in many ways and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. So they show up on this island. Right? And we have, I showed you a present day picture. We have a map up there. Right? And so they end up on this island of Malta. Right over here. They were sailing from over here. Right? They encounter this storm. It brings them over there. They shipwreck over there. They end up on this island. And you got to picture them, right? If you're there, they, some of them swam to shore. Some of them kind of floated on pieces of the boat. It says it's raining. It's probably freezing cold, you know? And then they finally get to the island. Uh, and Paul is there, you know, obviously with them. And he doesn't kind of like sit back and relax, especially after, hey, he's kind of been, he kind of turned into be the captain of the ship. Um, God told him what was going to happen. God told him what to do. Eventually, like the leaders of the ship started to ask Paul, hey, what's our next move? What are we going to do? And they started to listen to him. So after this whole big ordeal, they get on the island. Paul doesn't take it as an opportunity to take a break and say, hey, you know, guys, uh, maybe you might want to listen to me now and kind of gather around. What does Paul do? He knows it's cold. He knows it's uncomfortable. Everybody's wet. Uh, he goes out. He wants to get a fire going for everybody. He wants to warm everybody else up. He's always thinking his leadership quality is really servant, servanthood leadership. Right? He's thinking about other people first, and that's just the way he operates. A great model for us. So he goes, gets some wood, puts it close to the fire, starts to thaw out. Viper comes out. Bam! Snatches and run on the wrist. Right? That picture of the viper. Um, I tried to pick one that looked like... Uh, that looks pretty nasty, doesn't it? See those fangs just sinking right in there? Comes out. Jumps onto his hand. He sees it. Shakes that thing off right into the fire. Just keeps going. Keeping busy with what he has to do. And then from there, the amazing story is that he eventually gets like to meet the like king of the island. Ends up healing... Uh, his household, and a whole bunch of other people on the island. So it's incredible. The thing that sticks out to me, well, a bunch of different things, but one of them is this appearance, right, of this viper coming out. Paul had just been through this storm, right, which is certainly not an easy task. They weren't eating. Um, it was a mess, really, and nothing really went smoothly. And for a while now, things have not gone smoothly for Paul. He spent a lot of time in prison at one point, two years, really just hanging out in there. Totally not treated with justice. Then he hops on uh, this boat. People don't listen to him. Things get worse. Then he hops on the island, trying to help other people out, and he gets bit by this snake, which at that time was also venomous. Seems like things are getting worse. It might be a thought in my mind that uh, especially after the snake bite, that man, maybe I need to slow down. Like, maybe I need to relax. Like, maybe there's 
I don't know, something that I did or said that kind of put me in this position to make things worse because I'm trying to do the right thing, but it's not really working out that way. It doesn't seem like he really thought much about that. He just kind of shook off that thing right into the fire and just like kept going, kept going. The event is also significant with this viper biting him and having no effects happen. Is because way back in uh, Mark, Jesus even said, he said, you know what, there's going to be a sign when there's people of me, when there's apostles that are coming from me that are like in my name. He says, right, and I'll read it right from here, it says, these signs will accompany those who believe in my name. They will drive out demons, they will speak in new tongues, they will pick up snakes with their hands, and when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people and they will get well. Right? And so Jesus said, like, these type of things would happen for those types of people that go out, really, in his name. So not much of a surprise. And the people on the island, you know, when they see this going down, the thing they're thinking is, well, geez, he must be, like, you know, a really bad criminal. Like, justice has found this guy. Like, he's obviously guilty, and that's why he got bit by the snake, and that venom's going to take him out. Right? He's getting dealt with the way he should be. He had it coming to him. Right, so they saw the situation from their mind and they made a judgment call because they really saw by outside appearances. Here's this guy helping out, trying to do the right thing, but things seem to be getting worse. So hey, this calamity, this problem must have happened because he did something wrong and now he's getting it. And I don't think that thinking is really all that uncommon now. But here's one thing that sticks out to me. Um, and it's, it's uh, I think the slide after this one. It says, we can run into too many problems when we judge a situation by appearances. We have to make what's called, quote unquote, right judgment, like Jesus says in John 7, 24. So when you just see it by appearances, and we just see those kids like laughing in front of me, or they got the calculator you know, under the desk and they're going away. Or as soon as I started to volunteer and help out in a certain area, or as soon as I started to maybe uh, give more, things are starting to get more difficult. My family's starting to feel a lot more heat now. Um, my relationships are getting a little bit more strained than they were. All of a sudden, my life is getting more complicated. Once I started to go out in a certain area, some people might be tempted to think or say, geez, maybe I should slow down. Or maybe that was a bad idea. Or maybe this is a sign from God not to do that. Right? And I think when you invest a lot of time into that, it gets dangerous. So here's why I put this up here. It says, try not to spend too much time, effort, and energy trying to figure it out. Just tossing it in your mind all over the place, looking at it from every single angle. Rather, spend the bulk of that time, effort, and energy holding on to what God has said. I think that's really the key because we can run into problems... trying to figure out what God is doing, how he might have done it, and what he might be up to. I think there's some value in it. You certainly want to evaluate kind of like your life, where it's headed. You want to anticipate what might be coming. Um, but it becomes very, very difficult to try and figure out exactly what is the reason of why this is happening. It becomes very difficult because our knowledge you know, is pretty limited. And so my own understanding is kind of the title of this. Right? Our own understanding right, is limited. Like it says in Isaiah that your ways, his ways are higher than our ways. 
and we just really have no idea what he might possibly be up to. Because at the end of the day, we're created by God, and we're created for God, and he's looking to work through us to refine us and to bring more people into his kingdom. Like, that's how he's using us. And so sometimes it could be very, very confusing if we sit on that too long. And if we sit on that too long, sometimes other things creep in, like discouragement, like doubt. And then if that stuff grabs a hold for a little while, that can kind of take us all over the place, right? And so sometimes like, that's the bite of that viper that comes into us that might happen. We might have to actually shake that off because if you let that venom of that discouragement, of that doubt, of the disappointment, that can kind of do us in for a while. He said that Paul suffered no ill effects. He checked that thing off. It was just a done deal. So the following question that might come out of thinking about it really so long as far as what is God doing with this, this question might at some point come up. So is God bringing calamity on Paul because of some sin in Paul's life? Because that's what the islanders thought. It might make logical sense to think that way. And sometimes it does happen that way, right? Don't get that confused either. Sometimes like there is some real sin in the life that has to be dealt with. And God is trying to get your attention to deal with it. But if that's not the case, right, then what's going on? So is that the way he has to deal with the storm and then with the viper, right? So is that why these things are happening and is that why they're coming up? And, you know, unfortunately, when we look at the trials that Paul has gone through and what he's been suffering, whether it's like getting uh, beaten, whether it's getting thrown in jail, whether it's getting stoned, it's not written down that he spent a whole lot of time really thinking about this type of question. Really, why is this happening to me right now? It didn't seem like he spent a whole lot of time on it. I don't know, I spent a whole lot of time thinking about it. And I guess maybe that's just like a sign into my world sometimes and where I'm at. Pretty selfish, I guess. So if Paul's really not thinking a whole lot about it, maybe we shouldn't either. Maybe it's not that important. Maybe a question might be, or some better questions, have I been bitten lately or recently, right? Have I just really come out of some storms and some difficulties and some challenges? And is something else coming right down the pike? Like, does it seem like a repeated episode of just bad news? Is the poison doing its work? Right? Is it starting like to spread? Or did I just already shake that thing off and just now I'm moving on? How do I and how can I shake it off and suffer no ill effects? Right? I think those are better questions to ask. Because they're folk more focused on, okay, here's what's in front of me. Here's what God has brought about. I'm really not quite sure why. But I know I've got to move forward. I know I've got to move forward. And just that illustration of him shaking that thing off into the fire, I think, is just a great illustration of how we have to move on. Some ways you can tell if you've been bitten lately or recently, right? It's going to affect uh, our attitudes. We already talked about doubt and discouragement. Um, Sometimes it'll creep into maybe our daily Bible reading, our prayer time, how generous we might be, our faith altogether? And is that venom going to spread into our emotions about how we're feeling about ourselves, into our relationships with other people? Could creep into our work, right? It could get into like all these other areas. And then what could happen is Satan loves this part. 
he's hoping that it just kind of seeps through and creates some collateral damage coming through on the other side. He's like, yeah, that was a good attack right there. That one was pretty successful. And so we as believers have to shake this off into the fire because it's not just a matter of really sucking it up, right? That's really a phrase. Hey, just suck it up and just move on and deal with it. That's not really the point. It's a matter of anchoring down, like our title was last time. Like, where's our true anchor at, and where does God fit into this thing? That's really what it is. Not really just a matter of suck it up, pull your britches up, and just keep moving on and going. That's not really the whole story. It's that God also has a plan and a purpose in the middle of it. What is it, and where do I fit into it? That's like the part that really matters. And of course, right, this one come, came, will certainly come up at some point, right? One other question may be, why would God allow this type of, of very challenging and sometimes excruciating experience for his children? It's a legitimate question. In some religions, you can't ask questions like that. Like, that's just not allowed. You can't, like, even venture into that category. But... I think it's a pretty good question. Why would he do that for us? And what would be the point? Why would he want us to experience that? I remember being on a uh, missions trip uh, in Mexico when I was like 15. And um, we were like in between like chapel time or church time. And we're sitting outside uh, with one of the counselors. And me and a couple of friends of mine were outside. We're talking about stuff. Uh, and he's like, yeah, you know, uh, God wants you, you know, out of your comfort zone. And, uh, you know, I'm sure, I'm sure at church, the pastor and probably my youth leaders have probably said it a million times. And I was probably tuned out every single one of those million times. But for whatever reason, at this point, I was paying attention and it actually made sense. And it just dawned on me and I was like, why would God want to do that? That doesn't make too much sense. Like, you know, why would he want me out of my comfort zone? And 15-year-old brain, you know, that's the way I'm thinking. Um, but now... You know, 31-year-old brand, I see all the value in the world to it. Anybody with any really radical story where God has really done anything significant or miraculous, faith-filled life, they've been pushed to the absolute edge and beyond and come to places probably multiple times where they've been completely broken, where they got no other option to just literally get on their knees and just cry. I mean, that's... That's what God does. That's what a life of faith actually is. Because God wants us to really understand who's really your anchor at this point in time. Are you going to run to, like, the doctor? Which I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but I'm like, is that where your security is going to come from? Is it uh, going to come from, you know, however much knowledge that you gain in a particular area? How often you Googled it? Like, how many books that you read about it? Which is certainly, again, valuable. It's helped to be informed about what's going on. But at the end of the day, that can't be like our 110% security factor. Oh, I learned about that, and that's what that is. Because he wants us to trust on him and have him be that rock and have him be that anchor. Because here's what he's doing, right? Here's what he's doing. In Zechariah 13.9, he says, I'm going to refine them like silver, right? This is us. I'm going to refine them like silver and test them like gold. They will call on my name and I will answer them. I will say, they're my people and here's the part. This is the big part. This is like the part that is huge that matters so much. And they will say, the Lord is our God. Why is that part so important? 
This, what we're trying to do for homework for like the mock, right, the men of Calvary, the men's breakfast, right, part of our homework is, we don't have much homework, but part of our homework is we have to watch the movie Courageous that just came out. Uh, it's, uh, it's in some theaters, not in all theaters, um, but the title is kind of indicative as to what the movie is about, about being uh, courageous, and particularly it's about men really stepping up, having some courage, and leading in the way that they're supposed to lead as Christian males. And so without giving the movie away, and without giving away some key parts, basically um, a tragedy happens. And so after that tragedy, kind of the key figure in the movie goes, he's finally in the pastor's office. He's never been in the pastor's office before. And he's never had these kind of conversations before. But the key question comes out of, because the pastor goes, well, listen, how can I help you? This tragedy happened. There's, see, here talking about these things that we're talking about. He, Basically, his thing is, you know, how can I help? And also, pastors, how can I help serve you? How can I help pray? How can I be a resource for you? So now the guy finally says, I want to know how to lead and be a Christian husband and how to be a good Christian father for my kids. That's what it took to get him to that point, right? I don't know if he would have gotten to that point otherwise. But now he's got no other options, and now that is the most important thing to him. And so when he's refining us and he's testing us, he's hoping that at the end of the day, we're going to say, that is my God. That's who really got me through. That verse, oh my goodness, just changed me. The prayers of those people over there, like that's what got me through. God is my God. And then hopefully what you do is you're like, you're like an Old Testament person where maybe a set up a rock or you have some sort of like memoir I guess um, uh, something you hold on to a piece of paper or some kind of something something that anchors that memory down and be like this is where God showed up where I needed him I had nothing else and I know he's faithful to me right because that's what he's looking for because he knows that life is going to be truly experienced when he's at the center of it there is a lot of like pretty good things out there a lot of um kind of ways to live life where we kind of pursue our own things and our own ideas and do a lot of it in our own strength. In that way, you know, we're never going to really experience what life could really and truly offer and what kind of God He really is. And Malachi says that on the same theme, for He will be like a refiner's fire. He will, he will sit us as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify uh, the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. Right? Your offerings are a little bit different now, kind of when you've been tested and kind of been going through the fire and been going through it. Your offerings are a little bit different now. It's in righteousness. It says, And the offerings of Judah and Jerusalem will be acceptable to the Lord as in days gone by, as in former years. And so in that Malachi passage, it's like, geez, you know, unless they really go through the fire, they're really tested. In fact, their offerings weren't even really acceptable quite yet. So, all that to say what? Let's try and make a quote-unquote right judgment like Jesus said. And John, I should say, in John 7.24. Because Jesus told them, he said, you know what? Don't make um, a judgment based on outside appearances. Make a right judgment. And he was talking to the Pharisees of that day because they were giving him a hard time. Um, because he healed somebody on the Sabbath. 
And they said, and Jesus said to them, he's like, well, listen, don't you guys, like, depending on when, you know, a little baby is born, don't you circumcise him on the Sabbath? He's like, so, what's so bad about me healing somebody on the Sabbath? He said, listen, like, you're holding on to your own things. Like, make a right judgment. See a situation for what it really is. And I would say, always hold on to Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. That's the tough part. Right? And that word lean, you know, in the original language, it's more of like putting all of your weight on, right? If I was leaning on this all the way on the whole thing. Game day, any day. Gotta to get my hands on some Subway steak melts. Bring on that all tender juicy steak and cheese. Or that. tackle the monumentally massive big Philly cheesesteak. A protein-packed powerhouse. Bam. I don't know. And I for breakfast, send morning hunger to the sidelines with a milk delicious... So now we're all going to go to Subway. Like, is that a sign? We're supposed to go to Subway. We were supposed to have it here today. Maybe it is. I don't know. Maybe that's where we'll go for lunch. Maybe God will have, like, somebody there we're supposed to talk to then. And then, like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe something will happen. Well, let's sum it up on the last slide. Here's the last slide. Hopefully we have the last slide. I don't know. Do we have the last slide? says, do you want to be mature in the faith, right? It's a key question. I think if you're a Christian believer, hopefully that's a goal. Do you want to be mature in the faith? Do you want God to transform your life and your relationships? Shake off what you need to and just keep on moving, right? I mean, I think that's really kind of the crutch of it. If you want to be mature in the faith, he's going to test us. That's how maturity like is developed. Do you want to see things transformed to really bring some true glory to him? And give them like some real reasons to show up. Sometimes you just got to shake off what we got to and just keep moving forward. And so next week, I promise, we'll be done with Acts. And then Matthew is going to be our next book that we'll be doing. So, uh, so let's stand. We'll close with one song. Hopefully it'll work for one song. We'll play like How Deep the Father's Love because um, that's just that's a great one. And then... Um, and then we'll pray together and close.